Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. How do I pause it? Just stick on me for a minute. Is your internet cutting out? It's it's with you. I got a private chat in the middle of the opener. Why is that? Why is it cutting out? It, it's your internet. It's from the fires out there. Well, it's the wildfires. I just want to send a message out to all of the firefighters and the wildfire guys who've come in literally from all over the world to help us with what's called the Bighorn Fire. If we have any technical glitches today, I'm going to attribute it to the fact that all the cell towers up in the mountains, not 10 miles from here, are literally being threatened. I hope everyone is safe. And I want to thank all the firefighters for all the... I'm I'm sure you want to thank the firefighters. Oh, I want to thank thank the firefighters. Would you like them to sign your calendar? I want them to sign my calendar. I want them to let me cook for them. Listen, today's show, I don't even know what to say because we have got a winner, winner, chicken dinner on the mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. I met this lady probably five or six years ago, and she was like a fireball. I literally met her for like one second and never forgot it, right? Yeah. Like, I, And normally, I didn't want anything from her. Normally, I'll meet people, and then I'll just want to get them for advertising, right? This one, I was like, this lady is a fireball. Everybody that works for her loves her. Like, I've never seen anything like it. They're like, oh, you got to talk to Gail. I would get... Sometimes I don't even remember the last press release I got, but I remember like, oh, you need to talk to Gail. So she's com- this Gail Becker, right? Completely available, right? Like she is not hiding behind any corporate veils. Like her company is so big, I'm walking in and I'm checking things out in, in, in Smart and Final, and there, there's a whole, literally an entire frozen food display rack of her stuff. I was in shock. But then I wasn't because she's so she's because that's who she is. She's authentic. She's innovative. She's fearless. She's she's generous. You want to talk about corporate philanthropy, strategic philanthropy. You want to talk about somebody who's doing everything right. You want to talk about somebody who knows what the mission is and is so purposefully, powerfully, and positively driven to accomplish this. She is visionary. And like she's that. here with us today. And again, her company, it's its like one of these refreshing glimpses into the future because the future of some consumer products, goods, and branded goods can be authentic and healthy and thoughtful and intentional and everything about what we're But more importantly, I should have won a tie and maybe and maybe a hat for, for Gail. But look, what I want you to notice when we're getting her on, don't say anything about it. Look at the artwork behind her. It's amazing, right? She's got beautiful artwork behind her. And I wonder if it's positioned there just for the camera. It's that good. Should we bring her on? Listen. Why don't you announce the name of the company? Because that would, people are like, who's so, Gail? What's- we're really proud to have these opportunities 
You know, this show is about trying to inspire everybody in every dimension of the food and beverage world to be re-inspired. We want to ignite the spark that happened, that got you into this business to start with. This moment in time is that place and time from which we're all going to reinvent the future of everything we do, the culture, to the cuisine, to the hospitality, to every industry. But in particular, we are called upon to reimagine what it will be. The hospitality industry, the food industry, we're thinking about nutrition and health, no touch, low touch. I mean, how do you, in a high touch industry like the hospitality industry, reinvent and reimagine the world in a very no touch, low touch way? We're all going to take a role in this, but it's going to require that we're all really inspired. So we're reaching out to our friends in the business who are going to help us inspire that spark to really happen brightly for you. In what are you talking to me? Are you talking to me or are you breaking the fourth wall? I'm getting confused. I'm, I'm, you doing, I'm doing both. Okay, because okay, when you go on those rants, I want to fall asleep, but I'm not sure if you're talking to me or what's going on. I get, I get confused. I let's was bring, hoping let's I bring my passion and my energy the queen would, call would power. excite you, not bring the queen you power, power. It's so hard to say. Can call you say, power. It, say it three times fast. Call a power, call a power, call a power. And you know what's weird is I've always loved cauliflower, right? Like, I love that. I love that. Cauliflower is what's broken through the fourth wall. This Founder and CEO of Cauliflower. Look at this. Wait, only- before we start, look who's saying hello. <gasps> Ray Leonard Jr. Huh? We got some big time guy, right? This guy is a we- powerhouse. Yeah. One of my closest friends. I went to high school with him. He's a little bit younger than me, right? I love he that. Is a, his dad you love, of course, Ray Leonard, right? Sugar Ray. But this guy, he will stand in front of thousands of people and motivate them. Like sometimes I don't even want to sit and talk to him when he comes to Vegas because I don't want to hear about. It. I want to, I don't want to be motivated. Like he's that good, right? Like he's that good, and it's got nothing to do with his dad. That's the craziest part. He's just that good. But that's his gift, and that's how he's sharing. Yeah. So the founder and CEO of Cauliflower Foods, which is now coast to coast, is here with us today, not only to share some information about the company. If you haven't discovered it yet, we totally want to turn you on to it. But she's making an announcement about some really major initiatives and generosity that they're undertaking that we are very proud to be able to share. She joins us now, Gail Becker. Welcome to Food and Beverage Magazine Live. Thank you so much for having me. If I'm three shades of red, it's because I listened to all of the nice things you guys had to say. So that was very thoughtful. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. And for the record, that picture I've had for 20 years and it is caught, but it's probably never been more relevant. And the picture is called Patchwork America. Oh, wow. And uh, boy, never has it, has it been so, uh, so relevant. Nice. See, and I picked that out, Jennifer, because I have the eye, the eye for luxury products. <laughs> it's not just my wife and the Gucci, it's me. Right. Hey, Gail, let's, let's tell everybody a little bit about your um, life in the world of food and how you came to be a food entrepreneur. When did you fall in love with food and how did you get inspired? You know, what a great question. I don't always ask, get asked that. My My love of food and, you know, I think, value of food probably started when I was very young. My parents 
uh, are both Holocaust survivors. And because of everything that they went through in life, they food was always, you know, because they went hungry for so long growing up, food was always a very important part of our of our lives. Even if we couldn't afford other things, they would always spend them whatever it took to put the best food on the table. We would go without other things, but never without food. And but we also never wasted food. And so it was always just something that had a very high value. Uh, when my grandfather came to this country, he was a dairy farmer. So, I, so most people don't know this, but I actually grew up on a dairy farm uh, in, um, in Orange County, California, wow. and it all used to be farmland. And so we, my sisters and I each had a pet cow and we would milk it when, uh, when, when, when it needed to be milked and we would take care of it when it was sick and I would go to the cattle auctions. And so like, like a good little Jewish girl, like, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I always grew up in this realm of food, but I never in a million years ever thought that I would work in it. Um, and it's interesting. So like, you know, I used to watch shows like yours or uh, read any kind of food related magazine for fun. So after I did my job, I came from corporate America, I worked in news, I worked in government, I did all kinds of things. And if I ever had any spare time, I would pick up a food related magazine and, and, and just start glancing. What happened was um, my father passed away and uh, I decided that I wanted to make a significant change in my life. I wanted to do something more meaningful. And, um, you know, I didn't invent cauliflower crust pizza. There were 569,000 recipes. When I uh, happened to look one day, I'm the mom of two boys with celiac disease. So I always oh, wow. was looking for ways to, you know, give them more nutritious options because what the industry was putting in gluten-free food was was not great. And I stumbled across cauliflower crust pizza. I made it one time, one time, uh, 90 minutes. Uh, they asked if I was going to make it again. And I said, there is no way because it took 90 minutes to make a pizza crust wow. after I got home from a full day of work. But I said, I'll find it for you. I looked everywhere. I couldn't find it. And so I did what anyone else would do. I left my job in corporate America and started a company called Cully Power. Totally logical. <laughs> you know, Gail, one of the things that you were talking about reading food for fun, you're in Los Angeles while this is happening. Mm -hmm. People don't understand what a wonderfully rich food culture California has mm. has had for some time. Yeah. People credit Jeremiah Tower, mm -hmm. the restaurant stars, Chez Panisse, Alice mm -hmm. Waters, and mm -hmm. some events that took place in the 1970s for the sort of birth of American regional cuisine and yeah. the awareness that James Beard talked about that the American culture of cuisine was richer than people gave it credit for. We had before always turned to Europe. But yeah. in particular, so much of what all of us have from coast to coast have today comes from the influence of California. Can you talk a little bit about where you are and how that's come to be such a powerfully influential culinary place, especially in the last 25 years? What an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, um, the the food scene in L.A. Uh, in 
in particular, I think is so rich in its diversity. So yes, we have amazing, you know, very well-known and well-established restaurants here, but we have so many fantastic farm stands or um, little holes in the wall that have the best reputations and lines down the street. And those are the ones that name I- Name them, name them, Gail, name them. Okay, I'll name one of my favorite places in Los Angeles, which is um, at the LA Farmer's Market, uh, the original LA Farmer's Market, which is now attached to the Grove. Uh, and it's a little stand called, um, it's called Banana Leaf. And it's this wonderful fusion of Indonesian and Singaporean and Indian food. Literally, I could eat there every single night of the week, uh, except for cauliflower, of course. And um, it is, it's just fantastic. And I love, I love that whole farmer's market. I go there all the time. I go there. You all the time. Gail, I, I, I go there so much that when I go into the valet over at the uh, Grove. Yeah, yeah. Coco, the valet guy. Knows me at wow. this point. Okay. Michael, how's Vegas? How's this? We'll keep your car up front. <laughs> you may. I, go on a, I do, Michael, but yeah. <laughs> I get the shawarmas from there from this oh, yeah. market, right? Yeah. yeah, it's great. The, the the whole thing. I love all the you know. I love all the smells mixing together. I love all the different people mixing together. You know, real really, it's interesting. I. I never, even though I've always placed this incredibly high value on food because of how I was raised, I never really considered myself a foodie. Um, to me, it was always about the meal. It was never about the food. It was about the meal, about the meal experience, about the sitting ritual, around. The customs, the connection. The customs, the fact that even though we could disagree about so many things, if you plot some food down on the table and you all, you know, take a bit and share from the same plate, think of all the problems in the world that we can solve. I always call myself a mealist because I like real food. I like real meals. I don't, I've never been one for very fancy um, creations. I like very sort of uh, real, get your uh, hands dirty kind of food. I always, my theory about food is you're the type of cook that correlates to the type of hair you have. So obviously you can see I have a lot of curly hair and the way I cook is very messy and not perfect. And I don't really follow uh, recipes and um, it's big pots of God knows what. Um, but, but that's how I cook. And I wonder if that's from, but I wonder if that's some more Eastern European heritage, right? Because the things, because even my, my wife's Hawaiian, so there's all these recipes, oh, but everyone's like, everyone's like, dude, you just throw stuff in. Aren't you gonna measure anything? Yeah. Like I'll whip up, you know, whether it's a brisket or whether it's stuffed yeah. cabbage or, you know, all of our things, right? Yeah, right. And then we do our little secrets. Like I'll throw a ginger snap in, right. you know, something yeah. fun. Yeah. Love but it. I never use a recipe, right? Yeah. Like that's why I love Canner's Deli. I love, I love Deli. the best. Yeah. And right. then the little, a little hole in the wall in Orange County, it's, it's called the Orange Inn in Laguna. Are you familiar oh, with that? I have to go there. I don't know. Wow. I get, I get to meet you guys and I get tips. I, I love it. But then Always the two places there. I have to chime in with, please, the Dupars in Studio City. Uh, it's yeah, it's now closed. It is now, unfortunately, a Sephora, but I love Dupars. Yeah. That tradition 
to me, that was what I always thought of as that sort of quintessential LA experience. And then Felipe's original with the hot mustard. Yeah, hot mustard on anything. Let me give you a newsflash on Dupar's really quick. Ready for the Dupar's newsflash? Yeah. The guy that owns Dupar, right? He was on the cover of my magazine once. He actually bought it from the family, right? Oh, interesting. But the, he, but he also he was I forget, Biff. His name is Biff, and he was the Biff, and he, he was the character from Back to the Future. They named it after him. Um, Dupar's, but he also pulled. Hamburger Hamlet out for the family oh, when they were having wow. trouble. Uh -huh. That's right. So very, and no one knows, but this guy's like royalty of restaurants. That's in LA. LA royalty for sure. Yeah. But nobody even knows the guy. They have yeah. new cars here in Vegas. That was a great one. This Now it's a Sephora. Which uh, stands, yeah. Hey, but, listen, you guys, I want to, um, I want to talk about how some of the reputation that California has had about cuisine has been, it's a little bit healthier, um, it's a little bit more imaginative, and it absolutely positively stands to reason that if somebody were gonna start making pizza crusts out of cauliflower and reimagining all the ways you could take this wonderful vegetable that gives you a range of flavors and textures, depending on what you do with it, and imagining how you could turn it into any number of our favorite foods, it stands to reason that would come from California. And I want to turn to Gail Becker, our guest, who's the CEO and founder of Cala Power, and talk a little bit about how this magical vegetable fell into her life. Yeah, so um, the magical vegetable, which I love that you say that because I actually say that too. It, it has brought yeah. a lot of magic to my life. Um, I, uh, you know, I just discovered it online. There were hundreds of thousands of recipes. I made it. It was okay. Uh, and it was really born out of a frustration of seeing what the industry was putting into gluten-free foods because of my sons. Um, and when I, when I started to look for ready-made uh, products that were out there, I couldn't find any. And to me, look, I, I've been a working uh, mom for as long as I can remember. And, you know, I was almost kind of insulted that people thought I had 90 minutes to make a pizza crust. <laughs> like, who has that time? So to me, you know, the Collie Power is a company that's as much about better for you food as it is about convenient. Because as wonderful and as healthy as food can be, if it's not convenient, people aren't going to eat it. What I think is so interesting, just to touch on what you said about a company like Collie Power being born in California, you know, sure, I think you're right in many ways. And, and it's certainly, you know, we do have a, a history and a, and, and, a, and a trend of healthier eating here. But what I love about Collie Power and what was really important to me in, in starting this company is this notion about making excess, making nutrition accessible to all. And it was really important to me that this didn't end up as a product that was very popular on both coasts. Um, and in fact, I can tell you that, um, you know, we went into, we started in Whole Foods. Uh, we started in 30 Whole Foods stores. I'm sorry. That's a nice start. Yeah, in 30 Whole Foods stores in Southern California. Because there was a time not that long ago when Whole Foods was committed to featuring local companies. Exactly. Well, you still it it still does. And by the way, if you have any 
you know, listeners who are um, interested in starting their own food company, there's this wonderful program that you can pitch your product to your local region, the region that you live in. I happen to live in Southern California. So I, I pitched the SOPAC region and they brought Cauliflower into 30 stores. Um, but what is interesting and what, where I was going is, you know, we went national in Walmart. So we launched in February of 2017 uh, in those 30 Whole food stores. We went national into Walmart in October of that year. Wow. And what I was going to say is, you know, one of the companies that one of the retailers that brought us on probably sooner than anyone was this retailer I met at Expo West. They introduced themselves um, and they're a, a, about a 30 chain um, retailer in Louisiana. And they said, you know what? These are really interesting. I'm going to I'm going to um, bring these. Uh, I'm going to bring these in in about 10 stores. See what happens. He brought in two SKUs. They sold out in two days. Wow. And then they brought him into 30, 55, I think they had 55 stores. And then they, they sold out there. And I, to me, the lesson is that people everywhere want access to better food without sacrifice, to really that intersection between um, taste and convenience and health. And people shouldn't have to choose anymore. And one, and you certainly shouldn't have to choose just based on where you live. And so I'm really proud that, you know, Kali Power is, is uh, really does well in, you know, every geography, not just on the coast. Gail, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm really interested when you go into a chain like that and you sell out in two days, what kinds of things did you do on the ground to make yourself break through the clutter of a very busy freezer section environment in most grocery stores? How is it that the customer found you so quickly? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a good question. And it's funny. I think part of the answer, I hate to say it, is that ignorance is bliss. I didn't know any better. <laughs> You're right. The freezer section is the most competitive part of the grocery store. But I had no way of knowing that because I'd never worked in food. So, um, but what happened was, is that consumers discovered us. So I didn't know much about food, but I did know a little bit about marketing. That was a lot of my background. And so I knew how to get the word out about Cauliflower. And that's ostensibly what happened. We got the word out. We were an earned brand. Uh, people became aware of us through earned media, through social media. Um, Let's just find that. I'm sorry to stop you, but... No. Um Let's break this down for some people that haven't been in this yet, because I want people who are listening to be inspired by your story. And when we talk about things like earned media, it's a really very um, simple concept, but it's not always easy to accomplish. Uh, and we've got social media in the last few years that we didn't have before. So you've got right. factors coming together to make this all possible. Let's just tell everybody, what do you mean by earned media? Sure, I, I I will do that, and I, I as part of that, I will also say the three reasons why I think Kali Power uh, found some early success. So the first one, to your point, is our marketing. So we did a couple of things. We um, we had the advantage of being first to market, and when you're first to market, there's a lot of news value in that, right? There's er, there's, and so we leveraged that. We did. Um, we put out a lot of press releases. We called a lot of media. 
Uh, and we raised awareness to the fact that people don't have to spend 90 minutes making a pizza crust anymore. Now the first available frozen cauliflower crust is now available. So we spent a lot of time uh, and efforts in sort of honing those marketing messages. Um, and we did that a lot on social media. Again, you know, to any potential, you know, to any budding entrepreneur out there in the food space, I would say, you know, the great thing is food is the great equalizer. We all have a relationship with food. You don't have to be an expert of food to work in CPG. I am a perfect example. Um, but you go in with what you know. Some people know finance, and that's great. Some people like me know marketing, and that's great. Some people are experts in food, and that's great too. Whatever you do, uh, know what you do and know what you do well and be smart enough and confident enough to hire people around you that can fill in the gap. So for me, I didn't know anything about food, but I knew enough to hire people who did. And I hired a lot of people who had a lot of expertise and years of building brands in retail. And, 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 and that's what we did. Let's talk a little bit about how you got to that place because people are saying, wait a sec, you started in February and October, you're shipping. <laughs> Were you in a garage in Orange County, you know, cranking out pizzas on a little, you know, hand crank uh, cauliflower pizza? Yeah. Um, I, I want people to understand that that when you go into the grocery stores and you look for cauliflower, you're going to find remarkably sophisticated packaging design. And it does jump out as being different. Yeah. I don't know whether that was intentional or quasi-intentional or just an expression yeah. of how you felt you wanted to enter the market, yeah. but, but inside has to be a product that you had to produce at a very high level with really high quality, with irresistible flavor, and you had to do it in a repeatable, scalable way. How yeah. did you become a manufacturer or how did you become the brand that you are today? Jennifer, you are asking really good questions today. <laughs> Very good. I don't know if you feel threatened. Do you feel threatened by Gail right now? Is that what's happening? Because oh, no, you're you really no getting. So we feel the sisterhood is what we feel. Oh my God. Can I tell you? I am so. I have to tell you, I am so fangirl gushing that we have Gail on with us today. You don't know what kind of hopefulness she represents. Not only to me, but to, I'm going to guess, millions. Forget about all that. I want to go into L.A. and I want to taste her kugel. Once she makes a kugel, then I, I'll know I that she's over. That I don't. My mother's turning over in her grave. I <laughs> um, But, uh, no, you do ask really, really good questions. And, you know, when I, look, there are lots of companies that, a lot, lots of people who make a phenomenal product and then they make it, they share it with their friends, they sell it at local farmers markets and then they go up from there and they sell it to a small retail neighborhood retailer. Those are great stories. That is not the cauliflower story. The cauliflower story is that I spent a lot of time in corporate America being very unhappy. And I realized that if I was going to make a change, I needed to do it in a big way. So I was like all in. So when I when I decided to jump, and my jump was in May of 2016, because I had wow. to build the company, obviously, before we launched, I, um, I hired people, consultants, to, who 
that know that knew the food business to help me. And there's lots of wonderful consultants out there who, you know, that's the great thing about this country. You can hire anyone to teach you about anything. And they taught me about manufacturing, which I didn't know, obviously. And uh, I, I was like a sponge and I still am. I learned something new every day. I've learned three, you know, 30 different things just by talking to you guys. So um, I, uh, but I did know enough that I needed the help. And I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, they, you know, when you found, when you find a company, you feel like you have to know everything because it's your company. Right. But, but that's I, sometimes their downfall, Gail, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Even when, like in my book, which I'll get you a copy. Please. But in my, even in my book, it's, it's coming out the 30th of this month. The main thing I said, like the main thing for to be successful in a restaurant is to lose your ego. Ask for help. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. people won't, like I literally, and Jennifer I've known for 20 years. I know she doesn't look like she's that old, but I've known her for 20 years. She has watched me ask for help from the biggest names in the business. And you know what? I've never been embarrassed. No. I've you, never been embarrassed. And now I have 12 million readers a month. Exactly. So what does that mean? Well, and, you know, to, the, to that point and the point you were making too, Jennifer, is there's so many people who want to help you. There's so many people who are cheering on the little guy i mean even the retailers like even the retailers would like yeah we really want you to hey you know what don't do that do this instead you know because some people you know people don't always want the goliath to win they're cheering for the david and i love that and i didn't know because you know when you're trying to enter a space with filled with these multi-billion dollar multinational corporations and here comes this woman like hey i have this pizza um <laughs> <laughs> it's not a crazy. They look at you sort of funny. Um, but, you know, it's the power of the consumer and the power of making a good product. In real estate, it's location, location, location. In packaged food, it's product, 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 and taste, taste, taste. And if it, the taste isn't there, all the best marketing, all the best planning doesn't mean anything. You know what, Michael, Gail, I, I realized... Um, Part of the reason I'm so excited to talk to you, there was a woman named Margaret Rudkin. And most people don't know Margaret Rudkin, but she was a mother who had a son with an allergy. Hmm. And her son needed a special kind of bread. Mm -hmm. So she made a special kind of bread after seeing dozens of doctors. This is back in the 1920s and 30s. Wow. She went everywhere looking for a solution for her son while her husband took the train into town, into Wall Street, and was making money in the stock market. Margaret Rudkin stayed behind on their farm in Connecticut. Mm. The name of that farm was Pepperidge Farm. Oh, my what? God. Oh, my God. I just got the chills. I Margaret <laughs> Rudkin did the same exact thing wow. Uh, wow. almost 100 years ago that you're doing today. Wow. In Speaking to you today, I am speaking to my generation's Margaret Rudkin. Love that. What okay. you have created inspires me the same way the Margaret Rudkin story. Did she have a nickname, Margaret Rudkin? Because that's a lot of, lot of syllables. Listen, I'm going to tell you, she made Who's these loaves of Who's bread. She took some to the doctor and said, I'm making this. The doctor said, your son. What was the first pepper farm bread? The mother, the mother's with the doctor, and the doctor's saying to the mother, "What did you do? Your son is better." Yeah, yeah. I in this bread. I love that. He said, "Can you bring me some?" She made loaves for the doctor. I love that. They couldn't it's keep it up. Amazing story. They made more loaves. She sent them on the train 
with the husband to other doctors in New York City. And that. that is how Pepperidge Farm was born. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. Part of what I see in any time and place is this notion that there is always opportunity, even in the darkest moments, right. for the brightest lights, right. no matter how small they are, to be seen and heard by the people who are intended to make them become the big thing that they're supposed to be right. for everybody's benefit. Mm -hmm. This is what I see when I see the call of power story. This is why I was so personally excited to talk to you and have you on the show. Yeah. I'm curious about how you found your production company. That's mm -hmm. I'm going to assume co-packing for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I want to know more about the partners that were so excited to bring you in. Because it doesn't always go like this for people when they start a company. Some people go to fancy food show five, six, seven, ten, twelve times before they find um, what's called right. a broker or a distributor to take their product and then sell it but in. Jen, it could always go that way. People but it quit. could. People quit. That's the problem. And believe me, everything they, quit they do the wrong thing. Well, no, they end up quitting even if they do the right thing. Right, Gail, have you seen, I mean, you know, even there's a right thing and they're just like, I just can't take it anymore. I mean, it's a great product, but I'm just done. There, there, there are many days that I've had that. There are, there are many well, you're days. not a quitter, Gail. No, but there's more you're to it. You're a winner and winners never quit. Like, I want to, I want to, I want to focus on one thing that Gail said. She said one of the most important things is to be first to market. And she says that confidently because she knows how true that is. It's but she, she didn't explain what the cost was for being first to market and how many no's she had to endure from people who said, that's not in the market. That's not what we have. That's not what we do. Talk a little bit about the cost of being first to market. Yeah, it's a it's a it, it's another great question, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there were a lot of no's. To be honest with you, there were even a lot of no's when I looked for a co-manufacturer to make it. Like, you know, you want to do what? You mm -hmm. you want to make a pizza out of cauliflower? Like, lady, you're crazy. Uh, and I had a lot of people turn me down. And I had a lot of people try to charge me a lot of money because they didn't think it was going to go anywhere. And I had a lot of people who had zero capacity to waste on a crazy idea. So I, I have been told no a lot. I've also been told no by retailers early on who didn't want to take a bet. They wanted to see how it panned out. I can tell you there is a very large retailer today who was my very first no very early on. And um, today they're one of our largest customers. So, um, you know, you have to be relentless. You have to be confident and you have to um, you have to bet on yourself. You know, I, I look, I, you know, because, Gail, everyone else is betting against you. I, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't I, bet on yourself, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, like, you know, if you don't you know, how can you ever expect anyone else to? Right. Um, and I think, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's an incredibly challenging thing to be an entrepreneur. I'm obviously not a young entrepreneur. I'm an older entrepreneur. I, 
I've had seven careers and who knows, I may have seven more ahead of me. But I think having that experience in business and things having nothing to do with the food industry, quite frankly, has helped me. And I think like your example of the amazing woman who started Pepperidge Farms, I mean, it's never too late, right? right? It's never too late to reinvent yourself. It's never too late to do what you love. I always loved food. Whoever knew that I would end up working in food every day? It's like a privilege waking up and realizing that it's not a dream. Have you sold your millionth pizza yet? Yes. So I mean, duh, Jennifer, would we have her on the show if she had you? Yes, absolutely. Do your homework. <laughs> do you keep track? Like, uh, do you have a number like they do on uh, one of the fast food signs? That not, you not anymore. Not anymore. I have, you made, uh, yeah, have you made your billion pizza yet? Uh, no. No, I, we, I mean, we obviously keep track of sales is what we keep track yeah. of. And um, the reason I ask is we want to, you know, celebrate this moment with you because, oh. because your success has very quickly allowed you to imagine the kind of impactfulness you can have on the culture and community that has helped to make this happen. And I wanted to turn this over to you, not so much with a question as with a forum for making an announcement about what you are choosing to do in a strategic philanthropy kind of way. Well, that's really generous of you. Thank you. So, um, since our since the very beginning, Kali Power has always given a percentage of sales to build teaching gardens in underserved schools across the country uh, through in partnership with the American Heart Association through their teaching garden program. Since we sold our very first pizza, a percentage of sales has always gone to do that. What happened recently is um, the schools are closed. And the kids that are normally there and able to participate in the program where they learn about food and grow the food and learn how to cook with the food once it's grown and harvested and all of that, they don't get to do that anymore. They don't get to bring the food home anymore. In fact, they also don't get the lunches. Um, and these, these families are really suffering. So through our relationship with the American Heart Association, we've been able to pivot. And uh, we recently announced that Collie Power would make a $1 million donation to, wow. the, to the teaching garden program over three years uh, in, part, in, in collaboration with the American Heart Association. And most recently, we pivoted so that that money that was to go to the teaching gardens is now being reallocated to give out food, fresh produce, oranges, grapes, um, I mean, oranges, carrots, eggs. Um, bought from local farmers who are also suffering. So, you know, because obviously it, it's hard for them to, to right. get food where it needs to be. So we're purchasing the food from local farmers and then we're giving it out in four cities over eight weeks, about wow. 100,000 meals. That's to, um, that's in Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, and um, um, uh, in Nashville, um, um, in Memphis. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, and I've participated and the whole staff has participated in several of these um, uh, okay, yeah, days where we hand out the food to people. And I have to say, there's been many great days at Collie Power and we do celebrate our milestones and our sales, but few things are actually more 
important to us or more heartwarming or more, you know, empowering to me than to be able to give this money and feed families when they need it most. And tying back to your own family's history with hunger and mm-hmm. deprivation, it comes from the most earnest, honest place. First of all, on behalf of every family whose generosity, um, who's who's impacted by your generosity, I have to say thank you. Oh. For the leadership you're evidencing for our industry, I say thank you. Yeah. And for the personal inspiration that this is going to give to me and to thousands of people, I say thank you. Um, what an extraordinary gift and what an amazing program at a time when we've got a lot of hungry kids, sadly. Oh because there are 45 million Americans out of work. The hospitality industry is is one of the biggest industries in the country. And there are 15 million people who are working in our industry, many of whom are impacted by closed restaurants and the COVID crisis. And across the board, there are just way too many hungry kids. And this is going to be a huge impact. Thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's really a privilege to be able to do so. And it's nice, you know, it's nice to be able to give healthy food and fresh right. produce. It's, I mean, I, we, uh, I was at one of the days on when, on Wednesday and um, this young girl, she took her box and she said, I'm so excited. I get to make a salad. And I was just, Oh my goodness, of course. And uh, it's, it's a privilege to be able to do this really. Gail, one of the, things that I get to do and I have the privilege of doing in my own life is I volunteer with an organization called um, Pow Wow. Um, It's the Produce on Wheels Without Waste program that's done by a not-for-profit group called Borderlands. And Borderlands Produce is based in Nogales, Arizona, where much of the produce that comes into this part of the country, literally billions with a B, volumes of produce come through and produce that would otherwise be headed for a landfill is taken and distributed in a dozen or more sites around the state to people who for either $12, they can get 70 pounds of fresh fruit and vegetables and produce. But sometimes people need help in recipes. We, we try yeah. and work with them on that. Yeah. But there are programs like this and it's been long lines since the COVID crisis started because the need is just unbelievably broad and it's everywhere. And I have to say, thank you so much for all the things that you're doing. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your company's uh, sort of singular love affair with a a single vegetable. Are, are you guys uh, doing other things besides pizza crusts these days? Yes, absolutely. Um, so pizza crusts are our hero product. I mean, all of our pizzas, we have pizza crusts. We also have topped pizzas, obviously. And we have many different flavors and skews. And we just introduced some new flavors coming out as well. Um, but we also have other products. We have uh, tortillas. We uh, cauliflower tortillas. We also have sweet potato toasts sweet potatoes, which are sliced sweet potatoes and used as a bread replacement. They're very popular now for- Somebody say sweet potato toast? Yeah, they're called, our product is called sweet potatoes, 
but they're a slice sweet potato and you use it like a, you know, it, again, it's another meal hack. Everything we do are meal hacks that, that we didn't create, that everybody else created. We have our very popular chicken tenders, which are the best part of the chicken coated in cauliflower and then baked, not fried, that leaving it as the healthiest chicken tender ever made. Um, and that was also born from a meal hack. That was born by watching people take raw chicken tenders, coating it in everything from cereal to tortilla chips, and then air frying it. And we thought, well, why not make it easier? Why not do it for them? And so that's our very popular chicken tender product. Um, and we also are just launching now, got a little delayed because of COVID, but these um, riced cauliflower cups in recyclable, microwavable um, cups um, and all these amazing flavors that have never been done before. Beautiful wow. labels, ranges from 100 to 160 calories for a whole cup. Wow. And, uh, it's, uh, they're great. That's I wonder so if they're cool. going to have, Jennifer, I wonder if they're going to have cilantro lime. in there somewhere but uh, no i don't know cilantro lime wasn't somebody talking about that jennifer a few shows ago cilantro lime rice very big oh i don't know well, talking, yeah you, now that he mentions it somebody did talk about cilantro uh, so i, I want to talk let's talk about delicious okay one of my favorite food words is the word irresistible mm. and irresistible is one of those funny things that if you are in the food business and you make something, I charge you to make sure that what you make doesn't just stop here at almost irresistible, that you go until you hit the mark of irresistible. Right. You've clearly done that in the Call of Power brand. Talk a little bit about delicious and irresistible. If somebody didn't know your pizzas were made with cauliflower, would they be able to tell? Or is it just a darn good slice of pizza? You know what? It's a it's fascinating. I would say there are two types of people. Those that taste it and say, Oh my God, this tastes like cauliflower. It's so good. And then other people that say, Oh my God, I don't taste the cauliflower. It's so good. <laughs> so uh it, it really it, it it really depends. Um, but it's a very friendly taste of cauliflower. It's not an overpowering one. Um, look, you know. I knew I left a very comfortable job knowing that I wanted to make an impact somehow. I also knew that I wouldn't be able to make an impact if we weren't going to have kids um, eat this product. Right. And so it had to pass the kid test, starting with my own kids. And so, you know, if it's not something that kids are, it doesn't matter how great something is for you, how nutritiously beneficial something is for you. If it doesn't taste good, nobody's going to eat it. And so, um, taste and deliciousness and irresistibility is something that is always top of mind for us. What is it about the cauliflower versus almost any other vegetable that lends itself to this kind of adaptive new product invention? I think it's a couple things. One, to your point, it's incredibly malleable, right? It can become anything you want it to be. You can you can chop it, you can grind it, you you can puree it, you can do anything. And and thus, because it's so malleable, uh, it can take on the flavor of whatever you add to it. So uh, you can have the cauliflower taste if you want, or you can add all these wonderful spices and ingredients like our cauliflower rice. 
uh, and, and, and you get something entirely different. I think another benefit to it, and one of the reasons why it's caught on is obviously the nutritional value, but uh, also the fact, quite simply, that it's white. Nobody wants to eat a green pizza. Uh, and so you're not really, you, you don't have the barriers to get over of green pizza or orange pizza or whatever. It's something that's very familiar. And it's something that is very comfortable and that kids will react very well to. So I, th I, th I think it's a combination of all those factors. Are you going to um, take the cauliflower on a tour around the world of cuisine and highlight some of the uh, hero foods from different cultures in cauliflower form? Like lasagnas and... Do it. And ramen. Like and where are we going to go next with cauliflower? Like a road to a road show. Yeah, road show. It's a really interesting idea. I will tell you, experience and road shows and all those things are super challenging right now. But in our cauliflower rice, we do, it's really our first product that has brought in the flavors of different parts of the world. We have a Baja flavor, we have a, a sesame citrus flavor and we have a curry flavor. So that's that's sort of our our nod so far to to um you know throwing in different flavors that is different from from what we've done. But you know, probably primarily our products are canvases. Our pizzas are canvases for you to personalize and add either healthy or unhealthy. We had someone make a cheeseburger pizza that is very popular. Who knew? Um, mm, that could be healthy a little bit. Yeah, Keto-esque. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, we also have a, um, but and our tortillas are wonderful canvases to add whatever that you want. Our sweet potatoes, people make them sweet, people make them savory. Um, so for the most part, our our food is a is a is a canvas to become whatever you want it to be. But um, but now we've started experimenting with you know more um, flavors from around the world. I'm blown away. I'm so honored and excited to have this conversation with you. I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time, with your philanthropy, the, th the difference that you're making for kids. I do a lot of work with the Boys and Girls Clubs, and when schools close or when schools cut back, kids go hungry, and it's sometimes the places where we have to go to make sure our kids get something that they need and not just some junk, but something really meaningful, uh, some nutritious delicious food that they will eat, that they will enjoy. And most importantly, that the food is respectful of the child or the eater in every realm. And one of the things that we didn't really get a chance to talk about yet, but that I've seen in everything that I've seen about cauliflower is the degree of respect inherent and intrinsic in everything that you're doing. Would you talk a little bit about that before we say goodbye? Yeah. You know, look, Cause, well, let me, let me just let me just let me over question this like I am. Because if you walk into a supermarket and you walk into the frozen food section, it is the section of the grocery store that has taken the, the biggest hits and complaints from food people who say it's too over processed. Mm -hmm. It's too salty. Mm -hmm. It's where the bad stuff is. And literally, it was the place that was most ripe for reinvention. And so we haven't really culturally 
gone all the way to start imagining that healthier is already in our freezer sections, but it is. Mm -hmm. And so not only were the products that were there before the kind of addictive things that made us fat and didn't make us feel good, but they didn't necessarily respect us, respect our health and our bodies. Well, they made us fat and feel good, Jen. Jen, they made us fat and feel good. What do you say? <laughs> what? You don't feel good afterward, but you feel good <laughs> eating that. I can tell you that. Frozen pizza bagels. Who feels good after eating a frozen pizza bagel? Who doesn't feel good after eating a frozen pizza bagel? Everything is good. Um, yes. I, I I understand your point and it's and it's very beautifully articulated. So thank you. And to your point, you know, the freezer, I always say the freezer aisle's on fire. There's yeah. never been more interest, more growth, and more sales in the frozen category than there is in this moment in time. Millennials love frozen. Why? Because of the price because it's a lot healthier than it used to be and because of sustainability and lack of waste. But the way that I describe it to answer your question is I think what happened over the years is there were a lot of there was a lot of people in the industry who entered the frozen section who bet against the consumer. And they bet against the consumer that they wouldn't know the difference. And at Kali Power, we bet on the consumer. We absolutely believe that they will know the difference. We bet on them knowing the difference. We want them to know the difference. And th those that do end up being our customers. So, and they get rewarded for it. And they get rewarded for it. And I think that's where the respect comes from. And we have to be respectful because we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for all the people who came up with the idea for a cauliflower crust pizza or using sweet potato as a as a uh, piece of bread um, instead of a piece of bread or we're coating chicken and all of these things. That was the ideas of our consumers. So how else would we reward them but by offering the finest choice of food without having to sacrifice taste or health or convenience? Um, in my own life, I have a son who uh, I love cooking for. Oh, and yeah. I always mix in cauliflower in the mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. Since he was a baby. That was it. And I wanted to find out, are you guys playing around at all with both cauliflower in um, a hash brown formula or sweet potatoes in a non-traditional hash brown formula? Because the world is going to open up. And as I talk to you and I begin to imagine the kinds of things that you can make, uh, it's very exciting to imagine them hitting the frozen shelves soon. Uh, we we are always innovating. We we like to say we're a company of never before done's. So we like to do things that have never been done before. I'm looking at my kitchen right over here, and yesterday that kitchen was filled with samples of things that we're working on and being tested. And um, uh, because we've obviously had to you know move things around in this era, um, but we are always innovating. We will probably have another product. I'm hoping by the end of the year. Uh, and, um, so stay tuned. What do you think about tater tots, Jennifer? Or maybe a holly latkes? Uh, 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 no, right? Uh, uh, right? A little holly latkes? Uh, for no. 
I know. I don't know. I'll keep it in mind. Wait, wait, let me let me grab a piece of pancake. You could mix that with scallions, right? I'm totally craving scallion pancakes today. I don't know if it's the oh, mercury retrograde shifting into yeah. our consciousness or the first day of summer coming up. But um the one thing I want to talk about with regard to cauliflower is it's got such an extraordinarily brilliant articulate flavor mm. that it gets nutty. It gets, yeah. it, it really takes on lots of the best qualities of, of a potato in many respects mm -hmm. in a much healthier form. And so yeah. I think that if you can begin to, even if you wanted to try playing around with it at home yourself, if nothing else, Go and get a cauliflower and start messing around with it. There are chefs all over the world who are slicing whole heads of entire heads of cauliflower into steaks and grilling it on a grill, marinating it, frying it, turning it into a cheese coated. Yeah. Even right here in uh, Southern Arizona, Mike Hulquist is a remarkable young chef. And again, his family was in the produce business. So he has vegetables and he coats his steaks of cauliflower in cheese so that it's enrobed in that kind of parmesan chur. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, I, I mean there that. are things that everyone's doing with these and he makes it he makes a cauliflower taco that will knock you out. Or you could just go out to dinner to the palm and have a nice steak and don't worry about it. See what I'm saying, Gail? We don't want we can go to Dantana's next time I'm in town. You know I, love, I mean I love Craig's that one day. <laughs> we'll roll we'll roll over to Craig's. He's got a nice new vegan ice cream. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest has been the founder and CEO of Cauliflower. We expect more great things to come as she transforms the freezer aisle. It has been such a pleasure and an honor to have her on the show today. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you, Gam. Bring us, show yeah. us some new products. New okay. products when they come out. Okay. okay. Too, much fun. Too much fun. Thank, Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Congratulations. Thank you. Too much fun that she wanted to hang up quick. See what I'm saying? You were going on too long, I think, again. I don't know. I'm dying to taste her. I bet you that woman can cook from Eastern Europe. What's this? So the first day of summer is right around the corner, and uh, the good folks at America's Test Kitchen will keep cool and stay inspired as you cook your way through the season. We're going to be talking about this uh, soon. But I wanted to point this book out because it's remarkable and it's got all those recipes. And they've got another yeah. book. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. They've got another yeah. book, Foolproof Fish. If you've ever been apprehensive about adding any of these wonderful, healthy, sustainably produced ocean-wise seafoods to your menu, this is the time of year. It is too hot to you, cook. Too oh, hot by the way, we forgot to ask Gail if she does food service quantities and sizes. For everybody in the restaurant business that wants to I think we need another reason to have Gail back on because I think she's awesome. She's awesome, right? She's awesome. I think she is. Like oh, she I does. I want to be her when she I She does up. do food service, which means let me tell you something. I've got all these pizza guys that always wanted to do to do cauliflower, right? And I'm like, just I had this other lady that I knew that was doing it before I knew Gail, and they couldn't figure it out. But what what a brilliant thing to have it in your restaurant. Everybody's gonna want it. Everybody's I mean, it's crazy not to. Everybody's right? There's so many people that are going to want this. But more importantly, can I say something more important than Gail? Because I don't think anything is. But more importantly, look what is sitting in Hoboken, New Jersey right now 
right boxes now. and boxes and cases and cases of Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Michael, can you do something for me? Because, you know, my birthday is on Tuesday next week. It is? My birthday's Tuesday. What? And there's this African tradition where on your birthday, you give a gift of something that means a lot to you to the people that mean uh, a lot to you. Right. So here's what I, here's, here's my ask. Can we do a giveaway right now giveaway. to somebody in our audience? We're going to do a raffle. On our wait, I've got a whole concept. We're not giving my books away. They're $30 a piece. I'm going to give a book away to one of our viewers. All right. And we're going to do a contest. Say something that you want to be entered in our drawing to win Michael's book, and you will literally be the first person to get a copy of this book. You know what I did that was when I had the hamburger places, which was super successful? Now, I didn't want to tell this in front of Gail because I don't want to give her any more hints of the industry because she's already so successful, right? But I would say on social media, if you add and invite more people, right, tag people, the more the person that tags the most wins a free meal. You listening, Jen? The person that tags the most would I would have people with 50 people tagged and I would give them all free meals. I wouldn't care. If you would if listen, if somebody had 50 and somebody had 49, you know what? You both come in. Because you just help my business. We have lines out the door. That is my secret tip. And it's okay. in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. Now, my shipment of books hasn't come yet, Jennifer. Supposedly, tomorrow by 9 o'clock, I'm getting 45 books. We so have big, big plans. But this is, a, I got to say, congratulations. This is a fantastic book. Thank you. No, it's good. You wrote, you wrote on the back of the book as an endorser. You're a big endorser, which I can't ask. You know, who can go for wrong for that? Thank you for okay. being the endorser. I have to say, I'm overdue for a trip to Los Angeles, and I'm overdue for a trip to Las Vegas, and today's show just proved I miss Dinah's Fried Chicken. I miss all my favorite L.A. foods. I miss, oh, my God, do I miss, do I miss Felipe's original? Let's do this. Let's plan a trip to Los Angeles. Gail already popped off. We're going to hit up Gail, and we'll, we'll meet her at the at the Grove, and we will we'll, go crazy. We'll, we'll, get our, we'll get our friend Evan Kleiman, the James Beard Award winner, formerly the owner of Angeli Cafe, one of the most um, – Is he nice, or is he a pain – is he a snotty little food guy? I don't want any snotty. No she snotty is one of the most amazing oh, women in the food world, and you're going to love her. Let's get Barbara to come, too. Barbara Fairchild. She's one of us. She's one of us. Let's get Barbara to get down and dirty at the Grove. At the, it'll be fun. The farmers, original and, farmers. And my friend Darlene Dwyer, she's out in Los Angeles now. We're going to find her. We're going to rope right. her back in. All of our friends. We'll have a great. You know what? It. Let's come up with a concept where everybody serves us, and we have a big tasting. It'll be a big giant tasting down there once everything clears up. How do you go to LA and not have a tasting? But you no, know what? we will have a competition at the farmer's market at the Grove, and they'll present us their best meals, and they will win. And what will they win? The winner will receive the cover editorial feature in Food and Beverage Magazine. No, no, no. Jennifer, You're not the cover. Are you really? Oh, the cover, the cover. You, you, and we just created that concept. So you, Jennifer, can helm that big. Wow. That'll be fun. Yes. Who doesn't want to be on the cover of Food and Beverage Magazine? Me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Listen, I want to start something today because. Let's uh, just say goodbye, Jen. Let's well, say I goodbye. Say goodbye. We're an hour in. 
I want to say goodbye, but I want to say goodbye. And I want to, you know how Carol Burnett at the end of every show, she said, I love you to her grandmother by tugging on her ear. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to say, I love you to my little boy with uh, something. And I was, so I was trying to come up with something that would be like Carol Burnett's, you know, tug on your Uh ear. uh And, uh, and so I want to, uh, I came up with something for you. What did you come up with? I don't know. Tell me what you came up oh, with. Oh, I think you should tap your glasses. Well, I don't always wear glasses, but. Well, maybe you will. Anyway, have. I want him to know uh, I love you forever. Okay. He knows that. So tap. That's yeah, a tap I know, but I want, him, I, want him, I want him to. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you. Thank like you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll Talk see you tomorrow. Got your blessings. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, thank do you, you know who's on with us tomorrow? Who? Bartholomew. Broadbent. Is that the greatest name you've ever heard? Bartholomew Broadbent. Let's keep it a secret. We'll talk to you tomorrow.